Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. This is a special edition sponsored by Royal London as part of the Responsible Investing, the New Normal series. ESG investing has boomed in popularity over recent years as fears over climate change have led investors to consider the impact of their money and as a growing number of millennials have begun investing. Fund houses have been quick to respond to the ongoing trend, but the complex nature of a client's ESG choices, the sometimes contradictory and flawed rating systems, and fears of greenwashing have created a confusing and challenging maze for advisors. So as popularity increases and regulation tightens around ESG investing, what is in store for advisors when discussing such products with their clients? I'm Imogen Chu, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Ryan Medlock, Senior Investment Development and Technical Manager at Royal London, and Mark Greenwood, Director of Compliance Policy at Simply Biz. Welcome to you both, and thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Imogen. Great to take part today. Thanks, Imogen. It's a pleasure to be here. So if we start off with kind of where we're at with this at the moment, um, what requirements are there for advisors to take ESG into account during the suitability process? Um, Ryan? Well, I think it's probably worth noting that the, the European Securities and Markets Authority do currently state that it's best practice to capture ESG considerations within suitability assessments. And we actually carried out some research at Royal London uh, during this summer And that research actually highlighted that 77% of advisors are already doing this. So I think it is happening on a significant scale at the moment. Obviously, you've got these new MIFID II rules, uh, and and, and when they come into effect, that's effectively going to formalise this best practice and kind of force advisors to capture their clients' sustainability preferences within that assessment. So I think that move is very much going to inject ESG further into the heart of the financial advice process. And, you know, we know that when these rules come into effect, advisors will need to determine whether one of two investment products should be integrated into their client's investment strategy. So you've got uh, what's called an Article 8 investment. So that's a product which uh, promotes environmental and social characteristics. And then you've got something what's called an Article 9 investment, so a product which has a sustainable uh, investment objective. And we know that these rules come into play 12 months from when the final rules are actually published. And I think clearly, you know, it's going to go much, much further than just planting a couple of additional questions in the fact find. I think obviously, you know, advisor research and advisor due diligence processes are going to need strengthening to fully capture this consideration. Sure. Um, Mark, do you think this means that the days when advisors could simply ignore ESG and still provide kind of suitable advice are over? Well, I think it's interesting with Ryan's comments there, The as he quite rightly says, the ESMA guidelines published in May last year uh, state that it's good practice for firms to collect information on the client's preferences and in, in ESG factors. Uh, so we're starting to see a pattern of that happening. I think it's fair to say if we go back in time, possibly historically, advisors have tended to ignore ESG considerations. I think for two reasons, really. Probably because they thought better returns were available elsewhere sure. in the kind of standard market, the mainstream market. And I think equally because the range of those type of funds was fairly limited. Uh, as, Ryan, as Ryan said before, I think we've got 
a take-up of firms that are, are now asking these questions in the fact-finding stage before this MIFID amendment comes in. Uh, the MIFID amendment will certainly make it mandatory for advisors you know, to introduce ESG considerations into their suitability assessments. So that's going to formalise this best practice. But you know, we're seeing a, a thirst for knowledge in this area. You know, We've been running some events ourselves, uh, and we've got another round coming in November this year. And the PFS are looking at doing an ESG qualification. So I think there is a thirst for knowledge from advisors. I, I do think what you mentioned before, due diligence is probably the main area certainly we get questions on and our compliance help desk around ESG investments. So Ryan, you were just saying that um, you don't think just kind of slotting a few questions into a fact find is going to be enough to kind of cover this regulation. Um, do you have any tips either of you for kind of what advisors can do um, to make sure they're getting to the root of their client's ESG preferences? Yeah, I mean, well, well Mark touched upon it there in, 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 in the previous answer. I think there's, um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to prescribe it as sort of like a, a four-step process or put any sort of numbers on it, but I, I think there are, a, you know, a number of considerations that advisors do need to take into account. Uh, I think the first one, as, as Mark highlighted, uh, factoring a lot of these considerations within research and due diligence processes, that's going to be really, really important. Uh, in terms of, you know, looking under the bonnet of the different asset managers that advisors work with to really understand, um, you, you know, things around uh, how they integrate ESG into their investment processes, um, what kind of initiatives and codes they're signatories to. There's a lot of considerations, I think, from a, from a due diligence and a, and a research perspective. I think a precursor to before advisors go about formally asking questions in fact finds has to be client engagement on ESG issues. I think that is a really, really important point. And, you know, I think a lot of a lot of pretty significant events have taken place over the course of 2020, which has perhaps given advisors probably a unique opportunity to engage with clients on ESG issues. If we think about, you know, you know, all the specific angles to do with the COVID crisis, which present in the ESG lens. I think there's an, a lot of opportunities there. Uh, and then, yeah, again, like Mark said, I think the, the, the educational angle and keeping up to date on developments is really, really important because as we all know all too well over the last couple of years, things have been moving at an incredible pace within ESG investing. And I dare say, you know, over the coming weeks, months, years ahead, Things are going to continue gathering momentum. So I, I do think it is really, really important to try and leverage as much information as you possibly can. And, you know, fortunately, we are seeing more educational material, you know, whether that's from asset managers, asset owners, um, as Mark said, professional bodies. There's a lot more exam and study material coming out. And I think all of that um, is really, really important. Sure. Um, anything to add there, Mark? Um, what else can advisors do to ensure they're getting to the root of their clients' preferences? Yeah, I think it, ultimately having that conversation, why the clients attracted to those type of funds. I mean, these proposed amendments, these MIFID requirements go beyond just asking any SG type question as we've touched on. It's all about having the, the processes in place if the client answers yes to that question. 
So I think, you know, we're going to have firms thinking about certainly have centralised investment propositions, you know, these benefits of having a centralised investment proposition, the consistency of approach throughout a firm. But then if a client has particular ESG preferences, would they fit that centralised investment proposition? So will, will firms deal with that kind of client on an individual client by client basis? or have a ESG proposition. So I think these are the thought processes, certainly with firms that I'm speaking to at the moment. These are the kind of uh, conversations that they're having internally as firms. Sure. I think, I think that's a re- really important consideration there, how, how advisors go about building ESG considerations into their CIPs and their CRPs. I think that's going to be a, you know, a really significant theme in the next couple of years. And um, what other rules are there which are working to encourage the take up of ESG, Mark? So we've well, we've got kind of a, a, a raft. Of, so we've got new rules that came into force in April this year, and the independent governance committees requiring them to report on their firm's ESG policies. We've got defined contribution schemes. We're going to shortly have to publish reports on how they've implemented their policies on integrating suitability risks in their investment decision-making process. Um, and we've had the FCA basically indicate that they're going to be implementing these MIFID amendments regardless or irrespective of Brexit. So, you know, th- this is the, the the kind of rules that are around. I think certainly for the firms that we serve, it's the, the MIFID amendments making this mandatory assessment of a suit, a part of the suitability assessment ESG considerations that's certainly the one that uh, for the firms that we serve that uh, they tend to talk about the most. Sure Ryan um, any thoughts there are there any other rules you can think of which kind of working in ESG's favour? Yeah well I mean Mark's obviously hit the nail on the head there in terms of the the, the main rules which I think are, are really going to affect advisor firms. I think obviously what, a lot of what's happened as Mark said there's you know an absolute explosion of different regulatory proposals over the last couple of years. And a, a lot of this is being driven from an EU level. So you've got this, uh, what, they, what they call this sustainable finance action plan. And there's a number of recommendations in that. Uh, you've got the beautifully titled EU taxonomy, which sounds absolutely horrific, but that's this uh, classification system for economic activities that meet environmental objectives. Uh, you've got the sustainable finance disclosure regulations, and what I find interesting with those is that, you know, relative to other pieces of EU legislation, these regulations have got much more prescribed and, and, and strict feel to them. And that's predominantly about disclosing how sustainability risk is, is integrated in different processes. Um, obviously, you've got the other bits that, that Mark touched on there. Um, I think, you know, taking a step back and thinking about it from a domestic perspective again, uh, we've also got this proposed amendment to the Pension Schemes Bill. And, you know, if that goes ahead, that's going to make the UK the first country to align pension schemes with the goals of the Paris Agreement. So, you know, I think when you piece all of that together and look what's happening at the EU level, look what's happening domestically, I think it's fair to say that, you know, regulators and policymakers are are using ESG to effectively re-inject a long-term focus back into investment activity. Interesting. Um, obviously, advisors are kind of uh, at the front end of this with their client. They've got kind of all of this regulation going on in the background that's kind of altering how they deal with ESG when they're, when they're dealing with their clients. Um, 
Ryan, what are the main challenges to advisors from an ESG perspective? What are the main challenges they're facing? I think probably two of the biggest challenges at the moment, I would say probably ESG data and greenwashing. I mean, if I start with ESG data and by issues with data, I'm talking about you know reliability, debt, non-disclosure, all, all that kind of things. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting to sit back and observe what kind of effect different measures will have on reporting standards going forward. So, for example, you know, we've, we've got this TCFD initiative, so TCFD Task Force, the Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Horrific mouthful, but effectively the TCFD takes uh, the Paris target and tries to operationalise it for the business world because it looks to plant climate risk as a board level and strategic issue. And I think that particular initiative is, is going to have a really you know, positive impact on improving disclosure going forward. But I think probably the biggest challenge for advisors is undoubtedly, you know, the, the, the threat of greenwashing because, you know, it, we're getting new ESG products uh, launched on seemingly a daily basis. Uh, I dare say, you know, with, with these new regulations coming into effect, I'm fully expecting that over the next 12 months, we see more new ESG product launches with the word uh, sustainable in the title. Obviously, that is going to create more choice, but I think it also adds to the complexity and confusion from this perspective. But I think from a regulatory perspective, I think the, the good news is that all of the various regulatory proposals are all focused on mitigating the impact and threat of greenwashing. So, you know, you think back to that taxonomy I mentioned a few moments ago. Um, ultimately, advisors will be able to uh, look at a specific fund and actually see how much of that fund invests in taxonomy eligible activities, uh, the disclosure regulations, that is going to drive greater transparency. So, you know, I think these kind of measures should hopefully reduce the scope for greenwashing. But again, I think advisors are still going to have to capture that consideration within their research and due diligence. Sure. Um, Mark, anything to add there? Yeah, certainly when... Uh... I spoke with the head of our compliance technical team and the amount of calls we get on ESG, the majority of them tend to be around due diligence. I think there's just a, a almost a lack of agreement or understanding of what actually ESG investing is. You've got this, it's got its own terminology. So, you know, sustainable investing, impact investing, socially responsible investing. Then we move on to what Ryan's mentioned that, you know, this, this new phrase, greenwashing, making funds appear to be, you know, more ESG you know, by providing misleading claims, potentially. I mean, the FCA have come out and said they're going to challenge firms where it sees, you know, potential greenwashing. I just think at the moment, currently the onus is on the advisor to, to do the due diligence on that fund manager and see if they are actually incorporating ESG into their portfolio selection um, when we're talking about the FCA and we'll see how this pans out next year I don't see the FCA handbook being updated with a, a set of specific ESG rules I, I, I don't see the regulator going down that route personally I mean time will tell but we'll uh, yeah it, it's certainly going to become more prominent but the, the due diligence angle is the question that we have. And I think you've got, well, these three lessers, environmental, social and governance. And the three can be very 
very different. I think a lot of the times firms are focused on the G for governance, while composition, etc. that's quite easy to measure. Sometimes on the environmental and social side, it's not that easy to measure and quantify sure. from a due diligence perspective. So hopefully that will improve over time. Um, just to kind of add a bit of colour to, to this problem that advisors are facing, um, I've spoken to a few who are almost a bit worried that they're not getting the amount of kind of uh, constant ESG data like you mentioned, Ryan and Mark, in, yeah. in, in the due diligence process. They're really struggling to kind of do the due diligence on ESG funds that they kind of want to do they're not they can't get to the level they want to be at and they're worried that this might turn into kind of the next great um kind of almost mis-selling scandal if clients feel like they've been put in funds that they explicitly didn't want to be put in just because the advisor was unable to do the the level of due diligence that that they want to do on on a kind of other funds on, on the normal returns equities type basis um so yeah, it's just just an interesting point that advisors are, are worried about this. Um, hopefully, this will be solved in the future. Uh, Mark, what about the future? I mean, do you think this trend will continue? Yes, it's, it's a blunt answer for two reasons. You know, we've seen record asset flows into ESG funds, as Ryan touched on before. We've seen a lot of investment providers now having a new an ESG range that previously didn't have and this kind of follow the money. It's an attractive market at the moment. I think that the pandemic was increased investor focus on ESG. So that would be one reason. I think the other reason would be this MIFID amendment is going to require advisors to, you know, have that conversation around ESG. And I can only see the likely effect of that is increasing assets moving into the ESG sector. So I think the blunt answer is yes for commercial and regulatory reasons. I think we've also seen definitely over the last couple of years and, and, and probably more so over this particular year, you know, we've, we've seen a number of pretty significant societal shifts taking place. And clearly uh, there is now much more of a demand to invest in a more responsible manner. And again, um, you know, you only have to look at, the flows into sustainable funds over, you know, even just the summer months of, of this particular year. And again, I go back to that, you know, that, that research that, that Royal London completed during the summer of this year. And that research actually highlighted that 82% of advisors are reporting an uptick in interest uh, from their clients on ESG since COVID crisis began. So for me, I think that demand is, is only going to increase. And I think obviously with the MIFID rules coming into effect, that's going to formalise this consideration uh, within advice processes. And, you know, this focus from a regulatory perspective is, is very much on better disclosure, greater transparency. So, yeah, I think ESG, you know, for, for a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, is going to be front and centre of our minds. Uh, and obviously, you know, aside from the obvious benefit to society as a whole, it, it, it has shown that it has the potential to improve long-term financial outcomes for clients. And that, that's why I think it's a, it's a really, really important consideration going forward. Sure. Um, and is there anything um, you think advisors can start doing now in order to kind of prep for when this becomes um, a regulatory necessity? Um, is there any way they can kind of embed an ESG process into their advice business now? Um, Mark, any thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, embedded ESG preferences within their client fact finds, within their reviews, their ongoing reviews with clients. Again, this there is a thirst for knowledge out there in this area. You know, we run ESG events here at the Simpler Biz Group. You know, there's a lot of other providers running specific ESG uh, themed events. And, you know, I mentioned the PFS qualification that's coming our way. Again, it's increasing your knowledge, looking at your systems and controls within the firm, mm-hmm. fact finds, ongoing reviews, embedding ESG considerations within there. And starting that thought process, certainly for firms that have a centralised investment proposition, of how they're going to deal with clients who have these ESG preferences that may not fit their centralised investment proposition. So, you know, firms that we're speaking to on a regular basis are starting to have that thought process now and, and trying to get ahead of the game before these new amendments come in, which is expected next year. Sure. Ryan? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I think if, if firms aren't already doing so, I would strongly encourage uh, client engagement in this particular area. Um, you know, warming the client up, talking about specific issues. Obviously, the, the beauty about ESG is that there are a variety of issues and topics that can be related to it. So using real life examples, whatever that may be, just to bring the impact of, 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 of ESG to life. And I think, you know, having that engagement exercise can make it a little easier to formally integrate some of the considerations within the wider process. But yeah, I think as, you know, as as Mark's touched on, as I was mentioning earlier, it's clearly much, much more than just bolting a couple of questions into the fact find. Um, it, it, It really is. So I think the sooner that firms start thinking about these considerations and integrating them, I think that'll be better for everyone. Lovely. Um, Ryan, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Imogen. Thanks, Imogen. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.